Uh, this morning is the last in our series of sermons based on our study of miracles in Matthew's gospel. Now, there's still a couple of left in that series, so if you're part of a Sunday school class or a Bible study group using that, you may still have another Sunday or two in that. But for, for ourselves this morning, this is our last on Sunday morning because next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent already, and we'll begin preparing and moving ourselves, uh, journeying towards Christmas together. If you are visiting with us, please give me the honor after church of spending a little time with you and meeting you. I'll be out in the foyer of the church. We have a gift of some homemade sourdough bread. If you don't come and let us share that with you, we'll just be hounded by some of our own members who keep wanting to sneak away with it and take it home with them. So please come and be with me. Miracles in Matthew. This story this morning, it is only in Matthew's gospel. Only in Matthew's gospel. And uh, it is different. So here it is. Here it was. Is it still there? There it is, yeah. On their arrival, this is Jesus and his disciples, on their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And, and actually in Greek, it's structured in a way they're expecting an answer, yes. It's your teacher pays the temple tax, doesn't he? And it, it is not responding. I'll let you handle that today. Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then he went into the house, but before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they have conquered? They tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well, then Jesus said, the citizens, and in our Greek text, it could be translated as, as citizens or sons or children. The, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them. So go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch and you'll find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. And there you are. That's our miracle story today. I must confess to you, I have never preached on this passage before. I am so excited this morning. They are on their way back into Capernaum. Their base, this is the city where they keep going back during their ministry in Galilee. And they're passing the temple booth. And it would have been the first that right there at the entrance of the city, which gives rise to this occasion. Oh, by the way... Your teacher, he does pay the temple tax, doesn't he? This story is only in Matthew. And let me just remind you, Matthew was a tax collector. And maybe he has a particular interest in this story, but it certainly is there because of the interest he has in this story about this tax and what it means for the faith community. And the issue being discussed is the temple tax. Now the temple tax was also known as the half shekel tax. All Israelite males, 20 years old and older, 20 years of age and older are required to pay annually this temple tax, this half shekel tax. It goes to the upkeep of the temple. 
in Jerusalem. Now, it's also very controversial. If you are an ordained rabbi, you are exempt from this tax. And we wonder, is this the deal? Jesus is not an ordained rabbi, but people see him as a teacher. Some, of peop some people call him rabbi. Is he going to claim exemption or not? There are priests who said, since we are priests, we should not have to pay this temple tax. Some of you have had the wonderful opportunity of traveling to the Me Middle East and going to Israel. And of course, you went to Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were were discovered. There's a document that was discovered at Qumran representing a group called the Essenes. And the Essenes are a religious group that withdrew from Jerusalem. Jerusalem has gone to the dogs. You can't trust them. All they care about is money. And the Essenes said, yes, you should pay the temple tax, but only once in a lifetime, not every year. There's one rabbi who writes later on that the reason the temple ends up being destroyed by the Romans is non-compliance to the tax. It is judgment from God. You will all be shocked to hear that in the ancient world, they argued about taxes. Little has changed indeed. So one shekel equals four drachmas, and a drachma equals a day's labor which means to pay this temple tax every year for the average person, subsistence living, two days, full labor, that's what it means. And Jesus is dragged into the controversy. And what are we supposed to do with his response? What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people? are the people they've conquered. Pretty clear, it's the people that they've conquered. Well then, the children, they're free. They don't have to pay this tax. It's very clear that on the scale of miracles we've explored, this one is just in a whole category all by itself. And notice, there's no description of the miracle itself. There's no description of Peter going down to the sea and throwing in a line or a net and pulling out a fishy coin. And given Peter's history of noncompliance and misunderstanding, well, maybe he did and maybe he didn't. Matthew doesn't tell us. But the story and the command, it's right there in our Bible. And what are we going to do with it? What did it mean to that first reader in the first century that reads this gospel? What did it mean to them? And what does it mean to us in the 21st century? So let me make a few suggestions as you think all week long about the temple tax. And here's the first one. This encounter reaffirms the identity of Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear the king's family does not pay the tax. And the people that are free under the care of the king do not pay the tax. And Jesus is the true king. And he does not need to pay the temple tax. The tax helps to supply and to maintain the temple. The tax helps to supply and to maintain the sacrificial system, including purchasing some sacrificial animals at the temple. 
And Jesus himself is the sacrificial lamb of the new covenant. Be clear. Jesus is against the temple tax. It is not proper. Number two. The story is a call to missional priority and the need for the exercise of wisdom. Jesus is very clear the tax is not proper, the tax is not right, he is not in favor of the tax. The temple stands in judgment. It is no longer a place of prayer. It is, in Jesus' own words, a house, a den of thieves. He will turn over the money tables. He will cleanse the temple. He will be the Paschal Lamb. But not that day. And not in Capernaum. It is not the right place. And it is not the right time. And the mission takes priority over many details. And the mission takes priority over secondary issues that are not as important. Not the right time. Galilee is not the right place. Here's the way one scholar described it. The tone of the whole story implies that for Jesus, this was a, may of, a way of making light of the whole system, maybe even making fun of it. Oh, they want temple money, do they? Well, why don't you go fishing? I'm sure you'll find something good enough for them. It was a way of not saying, on the one hand, oh yes, of course, we'll certainly pay. Here, take a coin from my purse. On the other hand, it was a way of, no, certainly not. The whole system is corrupt. Go and give them a punch on the nose. It was Jesus biding his time. Which brings up the third one. It is included in Matthew because of its implications for the community of faith. Now here's something to consider. By the time Matthew writes his gospel and the first group of people receive it and read it, there is no temple tax in Israel. When Matthew writes his gospel and the first audience reads it, there's no temple tax in Matthew because there's no temple in Jerusalem. It is destroyed in 70 AD. The Romans have had it with the uprisings. The Romans have had it with the revolts. And they bring in a large force and take over the temple mound and not only destroy, but carry off. I still don't understand how they did it. It is deep-seated angry when you destroy the temple and haul off everything but a small section of the exterior wall of the temple court that you can still see today. There's no temple tax because there's no temple. There's still a half-shekel tax that the Romans require for war reparations back to the Roman Empire. But it's not this tax. And so we have to ask, 
Why did Matthew include this story? What does it mean for the people who are receiving this, that first generation of Christians and now new ones coming into the community? What is Matthew trying to say and why is it here? Because now we're getting somewhere when we ask this question. Let me pause in my answer and remind you of another encounter that's told to us in the book of Acts. It's chapter 16, and Paul and Silas travel to the city of Philippi. Some of you may recall some of the details. They're looking for a place of prayer, and they go outside the city. There's evidently no synagogue there, but they find a group of women who are praying, and that's where they meet Lydia. And Lydia invites Paul and Silas to come into their home and to stay there while they are there doing evangelism and also as Paul works and supporting himself and as they are traveling through the city meeting people and talking there is this slave girl who is able to tell people's future the writer describes it as a pythian spirit a snake spirit uh, a snake spirit a spirit of divination and she keeps following them around the city saying these men are slaves of the holy god and they are proclaiming to you a way of salvation and we don't know if she's saying it in a way that sounds like she believes it or she is saying it with sarcasm, but the writer tells us Paul is finally so annoyed with what she is doing that he turns around and commands the spirit to leave her. And the people who own her are angry. And there's a riot and they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates of the city and they tell them that they are destroying their way of life and threatening how they are making their living and teaching them to do things that Romans don't do. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. And they beat them with rods and throw them in prison. In the middle of the night, Paul and Silas, in chains, in the prison, are singing hymns, and there is an earthquake, and the building shakes, and the doors are open, and their chains fall off, and the jailer wakes up to find it all in shambles and draws the sword to take his own life. And Paul calls out, we are still here, don't do that. He comes in and falls before them and says, tell me how I can be. We're not quite sure how to translate it. How can I be delivered or how can I be saved? Is he saying, how can I be saved from my life as it is? Or how am I going to get out of this without dying? And Paul says, call on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your entire household. They believe. They are baptized. Paul, uh, they take, he takes Paul and Silas to their home and he feeds them and cleans up their wounds. And then the next day, the leaders of the city send a messenger to the jailer and tells them, you can let them go. And the jailer gladly announces it to Paul and Silas and says, you have been released, you can go in peace. And Paul says, no. No. We are Roman citizens. They beat us and jailed us unlawfully. They come down here themselves 
and they apologize and they release us. And when the leaders of the city find out, they are frightened. They come down, they apologize, they beg them to leave. It's not that Paul needs an apology. It's because the mission is important. It's not that Paul needs an apology. What happens to the people who remain behind when he leaves? What about their futures and their jobs and their safety? What happens to the gospel as it is to continue in that community? And by the way, you can read that letter. It's called Philippians. It's in your, it's in your Bible, things that happen later on in that community. Because Jesus once said, I'm sending you out on a mission, and you are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And this story is an introduction to chapter, what we call chapter 18 in Matthew's gospel. And it's about relationships. It's about community. We have in our country this incredible individual culture and experience. And it makes us much of who we are. But we also have this idea within our culture. It's all about you. It's what you want. You need to get what you want. You need to get what makes you happy. You need to put you first. And this story says no. The message to the first community of faith is that you are in a community. And you are on mission. And the gospel itself is offensive enough with its focus on the death of Jesus and the cross. And we cannot hang on to secondary issues that offend and get in the way of the mission. We use wisdom. We learn how to say, now is the time, or now is not the time. We learn how to say, this is important, or this really isn't all that important. We learned how to ask, what is really important for the community of faith, or am I just saying, this is what I want, and this is the way I want it? Have we confused Burger King with the church of Jesus Christ? Have we refused being a disciple? with being a consumer? And have we confused individual happiness with what it means to be on mission for the kingdom of God? So go back and read the incredible story of the fishy coin and listen and listen and listen. Go ahead and look around. You've been sitting still for a moment. Look at the people to your left and to your right. You've been wondering who that is behind you and why they sing that way. Go ahead and turn around. Look and see who that is. And for just a moment, 
realize how important she is in the kingdom of God. How important he is in the kingdom of God. Realize that we are in this together. What is our mission? What is our purpose? How is God calling us, gifting us, using us this day? In just a moment, we're going to celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper. Some communities call it Eucharist. We're going to give thanks together as we begin this week of thanksgiving. If you are not a member of our church, you are still welcome to share with us. We only ask that you take the moment to examine yourself, to prepare yourself, to take a few moments and to reflect on who Jesus is and what Christ has done in our lives. This is important. And it's important today that we realize it isn't just what Christ has done for you. It is what Christ has done for all of us. And he said to them, my heart is heavy even to death. Wait here for a few moments and stay awake. And then Jesus went a little farther and he threw himself on the ground. And he prayed that this hour would pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, with you all things are possible. Take this cup from me. But it's not what I want. It's what you want. And the Apostle Paul writes to the early church and said, for I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And let us share together the body of our Lord. There were two others also that day that were led away with Jesus to be put to death. And they led them to a place called the skull. And there they crucified Jesus with one criminal on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in the same way, after supper, taking the cup, Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim the Lord's death together.
until he comes. Let us share together. Let us pray. And so, Father, hear our prayers of repentance and our prayers of thanksgiving. Feel within us the yearning for unity and purpose. And we need your wisdom. We, we need how, as you send us out of these walls to be on your mission and your purpose, we, know, we need to know when to speak, when to be quiet. We need to know where and when to dig in and when to say it's okay. We need to know how to love bigger and deeper and grander. All things are possible with you. May your will be done in Christ's name. In just a moment, we're going to sing together and we give you a chance. And, and part of it is reflecting on what we have heard and learned. And we give you a chance to pray for that kind of wisdom and redirection in your own life. Once again, if you've never invited Christ into your life, we're available to talk with you after the service or to pray now. And if you're looking for that community of faith, you want to be on mission with us, uh, we need you. And we are not the same without you. Will you stand as we sing and listen as God speaks? <laughs>